0: Going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I love that text from Jeremiah that we read earlier where God says, "My, My word is a fire and a hammer that breaks the rocks into pieces. So, hear now the fire and the hammer of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God has witnessed, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, But we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. But you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his
1: own kingdom and glory. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we come to you this morning
0: desiring to hear and understand your word. So Lord, help us. Help us to hear and understand. Give us understanding, Lord. And And once we have understood your word, Lord, make your words a joy to us.
1: Make your words and your commands the delight of our hearts. For we are your people and we love you. We desire to obey and to please you. Help us to love you more this morning. Grow us in the
0: grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Have you ever watched someone do something? And you get kind of frustrated because you're just looking at them do something and you're like, you know, there's a way better way to do that. Right? I'm usually the one doing the thing. Um, but reading the book of Acts and kind of looking at the Apostle Paul's life, there's a tendency to think this way. Right? So the Apostle Paul, his missionary journeys, and he'd never traveled alone, he always had a team. But but they would journey from city to city. And you can read this in the book of Acts. And the pattern is fairly similar. Different things happen in different cities. But essentially, they come into the city. Paul goes. Paul preaches the gospel. And mobs chase him out of the city and try to kill him. People try to stone him. He gets thrown in prison. He gets beaten with rods. And it's very tempting to look at Paul's life. Ministry, and think you know, Paul. I don't know how to say this, but uh, your evangelistic strategy might need some retuning here. Um, You know, there's probably a better way to do this so that people aren't always trying to kill you. Maybe, maybe you you, you're doing something wrong. Maybe I could recommend some of these church growth books here, kind of smooth off some of the rough edges. Right, but in this morning's text, we're going to see. Kind of the, the, the why behind Paul's actions. Why he did what he did the way that he did. And what we're going to see is, is how that impacts also how we should live today. So it's been a while since we've been in 1 Thessalonians. Let me just kind of quickly recap what's going on here. So Paul and his team had been traveling through the ancient world. Traveling through. So from here. If Israel's over here, they're traveling through Greece from Jerusalem. They've just been at Philippi, and now they've made their way about 100 miles down to Thessalonica in modern-day Greece. They, they preach the gospel in Thessalonica, and this, the standard thing happens. Some people believe, actually says a great many believe, some people are indifferent, and some get very angry with Paul. And so Paul and his team, they they raise a mob and chase Paul out of Thessalonica after taking a bunch of money from the believers, the brand new believers there. And so this church is stuck in this city, is living in the city, this church of brand new believers, all on their own in a city that hates them and hates the gospel message, and they're being persecuted severely. Paul's now 60 miles away in Berea or maybe even further in Corinth. And he's worried about the church in Thessalonica. Again, he didn't have enough time to spend with them as he wanted. And so he's worried. He sends Timothy back to check with them, see how they're doing. He says later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 that he was worried that his work might have been in vain. He didn't know if they would endure the persecution that was coming upon them. So Timothy goes to Thessalonica stays with them for some amount of time, and comes back to Paul in Corinth, or wherever he is, and has a good report. He says, Paul, the church is standing firm. They are being faithful. And not only that, this is the text we looked at a couple months ago, but they have been spreading the gospel. They are living faithfully. And so Paul, out of thankfulness, encouraged in the Lord, sends this letter then back to the church in Thessalonica. That, that is what we're reading. This morning. That is one of the reasons why 1 Thessalonians is filled with so much thanks. Paul is just relieved and grateful to God that they are standing firm in a very tough situation. And kind of the main theme here of 1 Thessalonians is basically Paul just saying, keep doing what you're doing and do it more and more. Keep growing in what you're already doing. Stay faithful. Endure persecution. Keep running the race. So what Paul's doing now in our text this morning is basically he's redescribing his ministry amongst the Thessalonian church to them. That's why when you read through the text, you keep hearing him say, you know, you know, you know, you know. He's reminding them of what it was like when he was there. He's reminding them of, of how he acted. He's reminding them of how him, him and his team did things, the type of ministry they did, how, what they said, how they acted, what their motivations were. And the question is, why is Paul doing this? It kind of seems repetitive. Doesn't he have any new things to tell them? And he does later. But but the reason he's he's reminding them of all these things, there's there's really two reasons. One, I think, is, is, is Paul's really trying to set himself apart from all the other teachers of the day. Back in this period, there were teachers, traveling teachers that would go around, kind of like the apostles. They would just go to city to city, preaching, teaching, philosophizing um, different things, and that was basically how they made their living. Um, They were like traveling stump speakers, you know? Uh, And Paul's trying to distance himself from, from them because they were kind of known as entertainers, as kind of grifters. They were just kind of con men and things like that. They would just kind of say whatever it was that would get them the most money. So Paul's distancing himself from those types of teachers. It's showing that that the ministry of the gospel and the gospel message is utterly unique, and we're going to see why. And second, he's giving them an example to follow. This is a very common way of doing this at the time. By reminding them constantly of, of what he said, how he said it, how he acted when he was with them, Paul is implicitly giving them an example to follow. Paul came to Thessalonica and experienced persecution. Now the church in Thessalonica is experiencing persecution. So Paul's saying the way you're going to faithfully endure is is basically by doing the same thing that I did, enduring the same way that I did. He's saying without saying, preach the same message I preached the same way I preached it for the same reasons I preached it. These are the two kind of main thrust reasons going behind this text. And so we're going to see that this morning and see how does that apply to us? How can we imitate Paul? In this. This, this text beautifully showcases for us the uniqueness of the Christian message, of the gospel message. It shows the uniqueness also of, of the method of how we spread this message. And by doing this, it also gives us an example to follow. So let's, let's look at the text this morning. The first thing we're really going to see here in verses 1 and 2 is that God's messengers are bold to declare his message even in the face of suffering, the face of affliction. God's God's messengers share God's message no matter the consequences. Another way to put it would be we are to share the gospel without regard or really caring what might happen to us as a consequence. We are to be courageous to speak God's truth in the face of opposition. Look again at verse 1 and 2. For you yourselves... No, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. The Thessalonians knew what had happened to Paul and his team at Philippi. They had successfully planted a faithful church. So Paul's Paul's ministry was successful in Philippi. You kind of read through the letters of the New Testament. The Philippian church is one of Paul's favorites, if he had favorites. But but that's not the only thing that had happened there. Paul and his team had been severely persecuted because of the message that they were preaching. They They had been grabbed by an angry mob. Once again, this wasn't his first rodeo. They had been dragged before the city magistrates, the rulers, They had been stripped of their clothes and beaten with rods in front of everyone and then thrown into prison. And by the way, all of this would have been illegal. They were illegally, this was illegally done to all of them. They were Roman citizens. And while in prison, you might remember the story, they were singing hymns in the middle of the night. and God miraculously freed them. That was the founding of the Philippian church. What a story. But Paul suffered greatly in Philippi. He says, you know, he told them this story. was Was it worth it to Paul? Of course. Why? Well, a faithful church had been planted. The Lord's work was going forth. People had come to faith in Messiah Jesus. God's work was being done. In fact, this is how God's work was being done. This is basically what Paul expected when he went from town to town. That's why he could remain bold you, you might think kind of in human terms in light of Paul's experience in Philippi that the next city he went to maybe he should have changed his message a bit maybe you would think it would kind of he'd be a little more timid still i mean when he's in Thessalonica he would have shown up still bearing bruises that he would have gotten in Philippi from being beaten with rods in front of everyone or you might think maybe maybe he doesn't change the message but maybe just the the method. Maybe he tones it down a bit. Maybe a little less public preaching and a little more winning friends and influencing people. Maybe, maybe he should build some relationships first before he starts to tell people this message. But he didn't. Paul did the exact same thing in Thessalonica that he had done in Philippi, that had gotten him beaten. Same message, same method, with pretty much the same result. Once again, he's chased out of the city. Paul says, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, even though we knew what the result would be. Paul Paul stayed on mission. He, He boldly declared this gospel, even though he faced, as he says, much conflict. And again, that's an understatement. Paul's chased out of Thessalonica by an angry mob because of his message. In Acts 17, you can read this another time, it tells this story of the the founding of the church in Thessalonica. It says the whole city was in an uproar because of Paul and his team. Paul, Paul leaves, he gets chased out, so he goes to Berea, 60 miles away. The people in Thessalonica that were angry were so angry that they chased him 60 miles and then caused problems for him in Berea. This is just Paul's life. This is the pattern. And yet he has boldness in his God to declare this message. Say what you will about Paul's ministry. It was effective. People came to faith. Churches were planted. Our coming to you was not in vain. Paul said. So while he continues to experience this opposition and he bears the marks of it in his body, his work is not in vain. And so he continues. And after Thessalonica, he continued doing the same thing. He goes to Athens and he stands up and does the same thing. Because of his great skill, was that the secret to Paul's effectiveness? No. We find out later in one of his letters that he wasn't a good orator. He wasn't a good preacher. Because of his faithful boldness to share the gospel. Because of God's faithfulness and power through him so again, we kind of ask this question because we look at a text like that and there's, in, in every Christian's heart, there's, there's some desire that says, I wish I could be like that.
1: So, so where does this boldness come from?
0: As God's messengers today, we want to be like Paul and his team. We may be a bit scared of the consequences, but, but we want to be like him. What's the source of this gospel courage? Well, he tells us in verse 2, We had boldness, not just boldness because we're bold people, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of this The source of this boldness, the source of this gospel boldness is God. It's the knowledge of who God is. It's also the knowledge of the nature of the message that Paul had. See, Paul understood that, that He had been appointed to this task, this life, by God himself. Paul understood that he had been appointed this task of sharing the gospel, this message,
1: by God himself. And that therefore, he essentially doesn't have an option. He
0: he, he wasn't bold. It doesn't say he was bold in every area of his life. Now, maybe he was. We don't know. But but he was bold in the gospel. He wasn't just bold in declaring his political opinions. He wasn't bold in giving life advice. Paul was bold in God to declare the message of God, the good news of life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If we understand this, if you you desire this boldness, this is where it comes from. The fuel of this boldness is understanding who God is and that he has appointed us, his people, to share this very same message to all people. That one day, the Psalms 117 that we read in the call to worship, that all nations might bow before him. We have been given that task, the very same task the apostle Paul had. We are God's appointed messengers. God, the very creator of the universe, the one who controls all things, the one who is working all things together for the good of those who love him. That God has appointed us. He has commanded us, his people, whom he has saved and redeemed to proclaim his message to everyone.
1: This is the understanding that drove Paul and his team. you understand that do you understand what this means i think sometimes we, we understand it intellectually but we often forget we we so quickly forget who we are we we forget who we serve we think oh that's
0: well that yeah that was the apostle paul i mean he was an apostle but we are also god's messengers carrying god's message It doesn't mean you're going to go out and plant 20 churches or however many Paul planted in his day. But it does mean that God has appointed us to share the gospel. We are heralds of the king sharing the announcement, the greatest news that could ever be proclaimed. And we must be faithful to this task in the face of all opposition.
1: And Make no mistake, there will be opposition. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you heard the gospel the first time, and you put your faith in
0: Jesus Christ and you followed him. That's exactly what you signed up for. Now maybe you didn't know it at the time, but, but, but think of it this way. You joined the team of a guy who was killed for what he was saying, and whose 12 closest followers were all killed for what they were saying. That's the team that you joined. This is the cost of following Christ. Christ said himself, they hated me. If you follow me, they're going to hate you. Paul wasn't surprised when he experienced this type of opposition. I think he would have been more surprised if he didn't. He probably would have been like, wait, did you guys hear what I said? Aren't some of you angry or something? When you read the New Testament, you are reading the letters of men who were executed in brutal ways simply for the message that they proclaimed.
1: This is, this is our team. This is our crew. These are the people that we follow. And not only them,
0: there's thousands. Thousands of men and women who have given their lives and been executed, both in history and in modern times, for their faithfulness to proclaim this message. Sharing and proclaiming the gospel of Christ boldly in the face of opposition is just what Jesus' followers do. It is what following Jesus looks like. And
1: suffering terrible treatment is part of that equation. Now, here's my obligatory Super
0: Bowl illustration,
1: okay? I got ha- to have one. I think, that's,
0: I think that's somewhere in Second Hesitations or something like that. On Super Bowl Sunday, thou must have a football illustration. I don't even know who's playing today, but I got one, okay? Uh, so think of it this way. When you go home and you watch a Super Bowl, or you don't, well, no, it doesn't work if you don't watch it. So if you go home and you watch a Super Bowl, think of the offense, right? So the quarterback gives the ball to one of the runners, and what's the runner's goal? To get as far as he can, right, before he gets tackled. Get the ball down the field. That's, it's that simple. He, like... So will he try to avoid getting tackled? Well, sure, cuz he wants to get as far as possible, but his main goal is not, okay, I just don't want to get tackled. He knows he's going to get tackled at some part, some point. That's just part of the game. That's what he signed up for. In fact, the only reason he's going to get tackled is cuz he has the ball
1: and he's running. But he still wants the ball. So think of it this way, too many of us and I'm including myself here
0: are Our living, our Christian lives, we're we're living with the goal of not getting tackled. We're not living with the goal to get the ball as far down the field as we can. Our main goal is to just be comfortable, to live a nice life. But we've got to get out of that mindset. If we're going to be faithful to Christ and faithful to his call on our lives,
1: we've got to just pick up the ball and run as far as we can until we get tackled and then we go home and be with Jesus. One pastor puts it this way, and I love this, and this is
0: convicting to me. He says this, the problem with preachers today is that nobody wants
1: to kill them. Just There's something to that. It's obviously a little bit of hyperbole, but there's something
0: to that. We're not going to get into eternity one day and think, you know, I really wish I shared the gospel less.
1: I was a little over the top. You know, I really wish I was a, I was a little less bold for Christ.
0: I I really wish I was a little more comfortable in my life. I'm not going to have that thought. I pray that God would fill us, would fill me, would fill our church with the same holy gospel Christ
1: boldness that filled Paul and his team. So God's messengers are bold to declare his message,
0: even in the face of suffering. But here's the thing, too: God's messengers must have a pure message, a pure motives, and a pure method. So, so here's what we see in verse 3. Paul says this: for our appeal, in other words, you could kind of translate that our, our gospel presentation, our, our proclamation. When we share the gospel to you, it does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. So there's no error in it. It does not spring from error. In other words, Paul says, the reason our message, our appeal is so powerful, the reason we are so bold when we share the gospel is because it's true. We believe it's true. There's no error or falsehood in what we're saying. Paul's, again, he's distancing himself from other teachers, saying, look, these guys are just saying what they're saying because you're going to pay them money. He says, we would not have been so bold if we didn't believe what we were saying. When you share the gospel as found in the scriptures with someone. You can have absolute confidence in it, that it is free from error. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you might not make a mistake in what you're saying, but it's true. It's objectively true, and that is a category that still exists. And equally as important, kind of the flip side of this coin is, you do need to make sure that the gospel you're sharing is the one found in the Scriptures. Scripture tells us there are other Gospels floating out there, false Gospels. You need to make sure that we're sharing the Gospel according to the Scriptures. Even Paul did this. He traveled to Jerusalem at one point in his ministry to double-check with Peter and James that he was preaching the correct Gospel, Great way to get some help in this area is there's some really good gospel tracks. What is the gospel? By Greg Gilbert. Two ways to live, another one. Great. That can just give you some helpful ways to walk through the gospel with someone. Or if you're unsure, check with a faithful brother or sister. Check with one of the pastors. Say, hey, I just want to make sure I have this right because I'm sharing this with people. And then when you share the gospel with someone, you can be confident that it is the same message that came from the mouth of Jesus and the Apostle Paul and all of our brothers and sisters throughout history. We must have a pure message. But we also must have pure motives. Paul says, our, our appeals doesn't spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Paul and his team, their, their motives were pure. They're not immoral. So so why did they proclaim the gospel of Christ? Because they believed it to be true. And because they wanted people to repent and put their faith in King Jesus. That's their, their only motive. And that must be our motivation as well. Love for God and love for his people. Paul wasn't trying to grow a movement or an organization. He wasn't trying to up his baptism numbers. He wasn't trying to look good to, to the other preachers of the day. He wasn't in it for the money, which he tells us in a couple of verses you can see by his life. His, his motives were pure. Again, distancing himself from other teachers of the day. But he also had a pure method. It doesn't spring from error, doesn't spring from impurity or any attempt to deceive. Paul was not out to deceive people. Paul, Paul's presentation of the gospel was simple and straightforward. It wasn't a, a bait and switch. Paul didn't consult the advertising executives of the day to see how to best trick people into believing in Jesus. He didn't need to. That wasn't his agenda. He just put the gospel out there. Those who believed, believed, and those who hated it, hated it. In, in Acts 17, we read about Paul's time in Thessalonica. This is what it says. Paul comes to Thessalonica with his team. says this, and Paul went in, as was his custom. In other words, this is, what, this is how he always did things. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So he opened the Old Testament, the Bible at the time, and reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. In other words, he went in and just tried to show them from the Bible that Jesus was the Messiah the one who had been prophesied about. He explained to them why he had to die, why he had to suffer, and how he rose again from the dead. The gospel. He had a pure message, pure motives, and a pure method.
1: He reasoned with them from the scriptures. we will circle back to this, but, but, but look, look where he goes next.
0: Paul now kind of reveals the big why behind all of this. Why does he do ministry this way? Why does he proclaim the message of the gospel with with this particular method? Again, if you kind of look at his ministry just from a a human perspective, there's got to be a better way, Paul. Look at verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. This is kind of the central point of this passage. And everything else, kind. This is kind of the climax of this passage. Why is Paul so different from everyone else in his day? Because he has been entrusted with the gospel by God, and so everything he does, the message he preaches, and the way that he shares the message, is aimed at pleasing God, not man. God Himself can see into Paul's heart, thoughts. Paul says he God sees. He tests. Me. Paul knows he is accountable ultimately to God for all of this, for the message he shares, his own motivations, and the method he uses in sharing God's message. So, so Paul's saying the, the reason I'm, I'm the reason for all of this, the reason I'm I'm willing to be bold in the face of opposition, the reason I'm I'm willing to proclaim the gospel boldly, even when I know it's gonna cost me, the reason I refuse. To use all these other worldly methods that all these other guys are using. Because of this, I aim to please God who entrusted me with this message. This affects everything that Paul does. Look at, look at verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery. Again, Paul, Paul's describing how this shaped the method of how he shared the gospel. Paul, Paul in other words, Paul didn't change. The message to make people happy. Paul didn't change how he presented the gospel to try to make people more comfortable. He obviously wasn't making anyone comfortable. They keep trying to kill him. Paul never tried to make the gospel a little more palatable to the people of that culture. <laughs> After he's in Thessalonica, he goes to Athens and the Athenian philosophers make fun of him because he's talking about resurrections and they don't believe in resurrection. Paul didn't leave that part out because he knew that they didn't like that. Because Paul didn't share the gospel with people to please people. He didn't share the gospel to, to make people happy and, and feel good and comfortable. Paul, Paul wasn't like one of those, when I think of flattery, I think of those, like those really cheesy real estate agents, you know? Not all real estate agents are like this. But you know those ones that you just meet them and you're like, whoa, okay. Ah, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, oh, wow, cool shirt, man. Yeah, you know. They're just like, they're just flattering, flattering. That's what flattery is here in the Greek. It's, it's just saying so many, like buttering you up, just saying so many good things, just compliments and that kind of used car salesman type of feel because
1: they want to sell you something. They want you to buy something. Paul oh, wasn't like this. He wasn't like
0: one of those pyramid scheme marketing people. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever met one of these people? Have you ever been approached, like, in public by, by one of these people? I was, it's happened to me multiple times. I think we're, like, in that age range where they they come to you. And they're relentless. I I was at Barnes & Noble once, and this guy about my age just started talking to me. You know, he kind of, like, did that thing where he kind of got closer and closer and then he was like, Oh, hey, uh, so you like to read? And, <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, that's that's why I'm here. Um, and he's like, Cool, you know, what kind of books do you like? And and you just he just gave off that vibe, like, why are you talking like what what do you really want? You know? Um, and so you kind of just talk, and we're talking. I mean, he's a nice guy, and we're talking, and eventually it kind of comes, this is it always leads to this, yeah. Um uh, I have these mentors, and they're like 35, and they retired early, um, and they're, they're totally financially stable. Like, like wouldn't you want to do that too? Yes. Okay, well, they can teach you. Can, can I get your phone number in? Like, no, thank you. Um, again, he's, why is he making conversation? Why is he saying like nice things? Why is he trying to find out what I'm interested in? So he can kind of get his in to, to give his sales pitch. That's what flattering speech is. Now, if you're actually a salesman, that's not necessarily wrong. But sharing the gospel is not a sales pitch. Paul was not a salesman. And if he was, he wasn't that great at it. Paul preached the gospel of God so that sinners would realize their guilt before God, would see their need of grace, would see the beauty and the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and would turn and put their faith
1: in him. He knew that some people wouldn't like it. He knew that some would try to kill him for it. That was just the cost of doing business in his mind. Because that's
0: what Christ had told him. He was aiming to please God, not men. in What he said and how he said it. And
1: this should be encouraging for you and me. Because
0: you don't need some special set of sales skills to be an effective messenger from God for God. You don't need to take a 16-week course on communication theory to share the gospel with somebody. You just need the right gospel and a dose of spirit-given boldness.
1: (laughs) We put the gospel out there and God does the work. Paul continues, as you know, again, reminding them, they know, he
0: also didn't speak with a pretext for greed. God is witness, he says. Again, Paul's not a salesman. He wasn't in it for the money. In fact, he tells us later in this passage that he never asked them for a dime, essentially. Paul, Paul worked all the time in his ministry. Some people say making tents. Or, he's doing something to make income so that he doesn't have to ask for them money for them for anything. He says this in verse 9. He you look down to verse 9, he says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. But we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And he says later in 1 Corinthians, which is interesting, that he had, as an apostle, he has every right to ask them to support him so that he could do his gospel work. It wouldn't have been wrong, but he did not just to make sure that he distanced himself from these other people. He didn't want their money. He didn't need their money. That wasn't what was important. He didn't want that to be a distraction. He did accept financial support from some churches, the church in
1: Philippi, to be specific, but he never asked for it. There are too many preachers and pastors
0: out there today on TV and other places that are guilty of exactly this, preaching their gospel out of a pretext for greed, out of a out of a desire for financial gain. And they, they twist the scriptures to do this. So was see $65 million jet. I Couldn't fly regular class.
1: I need my private jet. This is not Paul. Paul didn't preach the gospel out of a desire for money.
0: He also didn't preach the gospel out of a desire to gain reputation. Look at verse 6 nor did we seek glory or fame or honor from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Again, he's kind of saying like, look, I, I'm an apostle of Christ. There's a, there's a sense in which I could have made it a, a demand for honor. It is an honorific role to be an apostle of Christ. But that's not what I'm seeking. In, in kind of a strange sense, he's telling the Thessalonians, I don't really care what you think. That, that's not my mission. I don't want any special treatment. Even though he says, in some sense, I I could have demanded it. Paul wasn't trying to build a platform. He wasn't seeking fame. He wasn't trying to be cool and acceptable in the eyes of the culture. He wasn't trying to win any friends. He was trying to please God. And and this lens, if, if you can put this lens on your life and on your
1: heart, aiming to please God, I aim to please God. This affects
0: every area of Paul's life ministry. and ministry. And if you will live your life with that as your main aim, it will affect every area of your life and your gospel sharing as well. We've seen what it does to Paul. It made him bold in the face of opposition. It made him strive to be accurate in what he taught. It, it Purified his motives. It did away with any need for deception or flattery as he shared the gospel with people. He didn't want fame. He didn't want fortune. His entire confidence, his entire hope, his entire aim was in God Himself. This is is what I I would call kind of a a radically God centered or Christ centered view of reality. It's it's what we need to have, brothers and sisters not just if we're going to be an apostle, a church planner, but if we're just going to be a faithful Christian. All that we do, whether in a ministry or evangelism or at our job or whatever we do, should be with this aim in mind to please God and not men. It's it's all for him. It's all because of him. We spread his message with
1: his methods, with the aim to please him. And and at first glance, it it sounds, almost
0: sounds like that could be a a mindset that might lead you to be unloving towards other people or to be uncaring towards other people or inconsiderate because you're saying, I don't care about pleasing you. I care about pleasing God. I mean, it's kind of strange to think of evangelism and say, I don't care what people think. But, but is that true? Well, It's actually the opposite. That's what we see in this text. It actually, this mindset of, of aiming to please God above everything else and everything that we do actually leads to being more loving. Look at how Paul describes his ministry among the Thessalonians in, in verse 7. But, but we were gentle. Some, your translation may say infants. There's an issue there that we can talk about some other time. We, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Is there a more gentle picture than that? So so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Look at at the effect that this God-centered view had
1: on Paul's ministry. Look at the love he had for the Thessalonians. We were ready to share
0: with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. This this all-encompassing aim to please God led Paul and his team to share not only the gospel with the Thessalonians, but their, their very lives.
1: If you want to truly love people in the most powerful way possible, you have to first aim to please God in everything. We can be bold in our evangelism and loving
0: to the point of giving our very selves to one another. Sometimes I think there's this, this, this mindset that those are two things, it's a, it's a, it's a dichotomy. You either have to be bold in the gospel or be loving. No. There is a biblical unity between those two things. God's call to us as a church you as a follower of Christ, is exactly that. To be bold in the gospel, to give our very selves to one another. Bold gospel proclamation and bold love for one another. These two things are inseparable. If one of those is missing, something's wrong. If you're bold in your love for one another, but, but you're not wanting to share the gospel, then you're not really loving people. If you're bold in your gospel proclamation but you have no love, something's wrong with your gospel. It hasn't worked its way down into your heart yet. These two things are inseparable in scripture.
1: This is the Christian life. We so quickly forget, don't we? We are so easily distracted from our aim. Oh, please God. We so Quickly get comfortable. Distracted and forget who we are. We so easily get discouraged. The Thessalonians were just like us. So look what Paul says next to them in 11 and 12. For You
0: know, again, he's reminding them, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, and encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. They needed this reminder. They needed to be continually encouraged, charged, exhorted, keep going in the faith. There's there's not something wrong with you because you need encouragement to keep going. There's not something wrong with you because you need someone to exhort you in the faith. That is what the Christian life is. That's why we're all here. We need this. God has built that into us. That we need each other to constantly remind each other of the gospel. To constantly encourage one another. To exhort one another. Every day as Hebrews 3.13 says. We need these reminders. Martin Luther famously said, Every week I preach the gospel to my people because every week they forget it. Amen. Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter. He says, I'm going to keep telling you this because you keep forgetting it. We need this reminder. We need this charge. We need this exhortation regularly to walk in a manner worthy of the God who called us into his kingdom. We need to constantly be reminded of who we are in Christ Jesus and how we are to live. Now, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of God? Well, it's, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. It simply means this, living your life in submission to God. Following the commands of God. It means aiming to please God in all that you do. As we've been talking about. Why? Because he has called us in his glorious kingdom. He is our king. Christ is king. And so now we live in submission to our good and perfect king. But don't misunderstand. Paul Paul is not saying, we see this word word worthy, and it kind of makes us nervous, right? But Paul is not saying that we earn our standing before God by living rightly or by living a certain way. Look, you need to do these things so that you can make yourself worthy before God. That's not what he's saying. God is, God is not telling you that you must prove yourself worthy.
1: Never be worthy of the grace that God has bestowed upon you in Jesus Christ. It's Impossible task. God saved us when we were not worthy. The, the Son of God was
0: born into this world. He, he lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death On behalf of his people, he rose from the dead. And on the third day, he rose from the dead on the third day. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father, not because you were worthy of it,
1: but because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. God did not send his son because he knew that you would love him back. He sent his son because he loved you. And so now the call has
0: gone out. Anyone who turns from their sin and places their faith in Jesus Christ will be forgiven, brought into his family, brought into the church, the people of God, and made a messenger of his gospel. Those of us who have been brought in are called to live according to the commands of our great God and King Jesus Christ. This is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of God. We live our lives in light of all that God has done on our behalf. And we give our lives to spread that message to all people.
1: Church, we, we are God's appointed messengers. God's message. We must
0: spread his message boldly in the, face of opposite, in the face of opposition. We must rely on his methods, his power to do this. We must boldly love one another. Daily, hourly reminding each other to walk in a manner worthy of the kingdom. God is calling us to give our lives to His mission, to give our lives to each other.
1: Let us do this all,
0: all of this, with the aim to please God, utterly reliant on His grace and the goodness that He has shown us in Jesus Christ. Even when we were not. That is the exhortation, the encouragement,
1: and the charge this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray
0: as we began this morning. Let your fire be like Jeremiah says. Let it be a fire that burns within us. Let it be a hammer that breaks Down our self-righteousness, that breaks down our idols, that breaks down the things that we're trusting in that are not you. Let it be a hammer that crushes
1: our sin, that crushes the deceptions that we've believed in. Father, help us to be faithful messengers of your gospel.
0: Power us by the power of your Spirit. Use us as your vessels
1: for your glory and your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.